Before we start today's podcast, I want to give you guys a warning. Uh, this is one of the most powerful and gut-wrenching episodes I've ever recorded. It is the most powerful and gut-wrenching things I've ever done. Uh, we talked to too much to handle listener Anne, who experienced a terrifying and horrendous domestic abuse situation that lasted from her teenage years into adulthood. So I do want to give a major trigger warning. This is a very graphic episode. We bring in expert Sirut Chala, who is a trauma-informed psychotherapist, to talk about the red flags of abusive relationships, both emotional and physical. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time introing this episode because I just, I won't do it justice uh, for how emotional it really got and how powerful and inspirational Anne is. So um, I'm just going to let it speak for itself. When I was growing up, I was always told that I was too much to handle. I was too loud, too opinionated, too demanding, just plain too much. Now, as an adult, I celebrate these qualities within myself and within the women I know. This is a call to action. This is a space to own your too muchness. This is too much to handle. I am so excited to welcome Too Much to Handle listener Anne to the show. Hi, Anne. Hi, Anna. How are you? I'm so excited to meet you. I'm so stoked. I feel like we've been cultivating an Instagram friendship for a while now. Oh my gosh, yes. Right? I feel, I feel a bond here. Um, and you actually sent me a DM. Um, and you sort of asked about some red flags when dating and you wrote, I don't mean the OMG he's chewing or he supported Trump. Okay. The latter is cause for concern, but still, which made me crack up. <laughs> um, you said, I'm talking about the ones that are signs for domestic violence, whether it's physical or emotional. Now, you also shared with me that your question is, is really personal to you. You said that your daughter's father uh, was actually your abuser. Um, and first of all, I, I just want to thank you for sharing this. I'm just so grateful for your vulnerability and your bravery. Um, and I want you to know too, that you're obviously not alone on average, nearly 20 people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner in the United States. One in four women and one in seven men have been victims of severe physical violence. Um, by an intimate partner in their lifetime. And these statistics are staggering. They are terrifying. But you are obviously not a statistic. You are a survivor. You are a fighter who not only got out and away from your abuser, but used your story and your trauma to help others. So I would love if you would share a little bit more about your story, take me back to the beginning uh, so that we can kind of understand who you are and where you're sort of at now. Yeah. Um, so I met him when I was 16. Um, it was at a point where he easily isolated me from my family because at that point 
who doesn't want to rage and rebel against their parents? Mm. Um, and from there, it was slowly knocking away my friends. He managed to get me to quit my job, move in with him. I dropped out of high school. Um, it wasn't until I had my daughter with him and uh, that I realized, okay, this, this has gotten too bad. It, it had already been physically violent mm -hmm. to the point where I was already fearful for my life. I had tried leaving. I had tried moving across the country, um, but that didn't work. Um, it, it, and once she was born, um, when she was three weeks old, he had been away for two of those weeks. He came home and said, you guys have to leave. I can't handle this. He couldn't handle parenting, um, mm. which um, I had actually tried to put our daughter up for adoption, but he refused because I knew it was in her best interest mm -hmm. to get away from the violence. And um, he wouldn't sign the papers. And it was either then go through a lengthy court process or attempt to co-parent because hmm. there was no way I was going to sign over to him. Right. And um, so I turned to my parents and I said, hey, can we come back? I don't know what else to do. And my dad, he was, sorry, he was amazing. He got both vehicles, packed us in a day, moved us home wow and it's been a constant on and off since i was 20 so eight years of him coming and going and um when i was 21 i moved to a different province mm -hmm. for university was the grounds for court and he followed um it continued to escalate he was stalking us um, I remember one time he opened the car door in the middle of an intersection, trying to grab our daughter in the middle of the night from the middle of an intersection. Thankfully, my friend was military, special ops, and he just laid his hand on my daughter and sped away. Wow. He, he could have gotten our infant daughter killed. Um, I don't know how many times my daughter has witnessed um, him, you know, beating me. Um, she has been in therapy since she was three because of what she's witnessed. Um, finally, um, w when I was living here in, uh, the new province that I live in, um, he had convinced, I, I had to keep moving because he had convinced my landlords that he was able to have access to our home because he lived there too, because he would access my phone and send them emails saying, hey, my boyfriend's living here, even though we weren't together. Mm. And um, so I'd be on the hook for paying for multiple apartments and having to move. And it was terrible. Um, there was one time where he actually tried to <laughs> shove a washing machine up against me and like crushed me between the washing machine and the wall and there was blood smeared everywhere 
and the neighbor across the street, their dogs got loose and came over to me. And had that not happened, I know I wouldn't be here because they came looking for their dogs. And um, I remember telling the police, like, I need to press charges. And the police at the time were like, well, if you do this, you're going to humiliate your daughter. And um, one of the officers felt terrible. So he went out of his way and kept driving by my house when he was not working. Wow. Um, And after a few years of the constant (sighs) drama, I don't really know what else to call it, it, it continued to escalate. I had enough and I pressed charges because my daughter was getting older. She was understanding what was going on. Mm -hmm. And um, I had applied for a restraining order. And while I had applied for a restraining order, he assaulted me in front of our daughter drawing a pickup drop off. And well, when he assaulted me, he, he threatened to kill me because all because I had involved child services because my daughter was now coming home with bruises. There was reason to believe she was being sexually abused. And so I had been reaching out to the proper authorities. And um, he told me if I kept it up, he would slit my throat in front of her. So when we got to the court date for the restraining order, we provided our evidence. The judge told me that he knew this would continue to escalate. He knew this was going to end with me being killed. But because of the laws, he couldn't do anything. When I had pressed the charges, they had applied an emergency protection order, which was an emergency restraining order. And because that was in place, he couldn't provide a restraining order. That would be a long term. So when we went to court for the charges, his partner at the time took the stand and lied. And despite us showing that she was lying, there was reasonable doubt. And the system here, um, there's been a few documentaries on it, um, has not changed in over 30, 40 years. Mm-hmm. And it has failed. In family court, I had, uh, while he was waiting charges, I had a female judge tell me that my abusers should be able to come to my house to pick up my daughter and that I needed to suck it up and Mm. get over myself. (sighs) And um, once he got off on his charges, he broke into my home. Uh, He stabbed me and he sexually abused me. And this is the type of behavior that had been going on since I was 16. Um, and I did not report that last one because I got nowhere. Yeah. And one of my friends does amazing work in our town um, for landlords and tenants. And he approached me one day and he said, Hey, I know your story. Will you help me change 
put help, help push this law, um, which was a law to help victims of abuse um, get out of their leases. So, as much as I hated it, in the sense of I, 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 I hate telling my story, I hate looking like a victim. I grabbed up my paperwork, which was about half a foot tall, of police reports, EPOs, peace bonds, and brought it to the city council and said, this is how easy it is. Because they were trying to say, people are going to fake it. And I said, in this type of situation, no one believes you. Right. People who need this law will have these papers. They it could have saved my daughter from so much trauma. And sure enough, we actually got that law passed. Wow. And so there's been, um, despite the domestic violence rates in uh, this province rising, we were able to get a law passed to help women who, and men who need to leave on short-term notice to leave and not have that financial stress as well. Wow. And I, I think I can speak for everybody listening to this right now, uh, myself included. This is such a powerful story. Uh, my heart goes out to you um, for all that you've been through. Um, but I am so beyond inspired by not only your resilience, but your courage, your bravery, your fighter instinct for you and your daughter and for helping other women through your own pain. Um, I am, I am something that I am not often, I feel speechless. So um, thank you for sharing. Thank you for your vulnerability. Thank you for being so raw and open. Um, a few clarifying questions. So you say here, you say your province, can you just sort of I don't obviously know specifics, but a general sort of um, idea of where you are living so that people can understand some of the laws that are yeah, in place. Um, I'm in Newfoundland in Canada, okay. that big island off to the side of Canada. <laughs> yes, I have seen it on a map. <laughs> um, so so uh, I have a lot of questions, but the thing that you reached out to me about uh, was about red flags. And you mentioned some red flags in the beginning of your story, um, talking about some of the isolation, uh, him sort of convincing you to, to or manipulating you to quit your job. Um, do, I guess, the, the root of your question, do you feel like you missed some of those flags when you were dating? Are you back in the dating world and trying to understand those red flags like how how can i help um for me um i now am very vocal about my story yeah. um my friend pace had introduced me to her friend's mom um because her daughter lacy had been killed while trying mm. to leave her partner so in honor of lacy i pushed and I stood my ground against my ex, refusing to become a statistic. And I speak out about the red flags that I see looking back. Mm, um, mm -hmm. As I know, had I seen the red flags, maybe I wouldn't have gone through what I did. Um, maybe my daughter wouldn't, 
reliving the trauma. She's since diagnosed with severe anxiety. She will most likely be um, in therapy for the rest of her life, which is hard to say given she's nine. Mm. Um, I don't want somebody to go through what I went through. And I find a lot of people throw aside the red flags Mm. and don't realize that they are red flags and they're just, oh, that's just them being them or, oh, that's just a girl in love or that's just a boy doing a boy thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Stereotype when it's actually something to be concerned about. Yeah. I, I am not an expert on this matter. Um, but I will say before I bring in an expert on this matter, like no blame or onus of any of this is on you. So know that, um, I do want to bring in an expert. Um, like I said, this is not my expertise. And I think talking about, like you mentioned, talking about these red flags are so, so important. I want to invite in Sirat Chala, who is a London-based trauma-informed integrative psychotherapist. Now, to be trauma-informed means understanding and being mindful of psychological and cognitive distress. Now, accompanying this is sort of an understanding and mindfulness of the neurobiological and physiological constellation of symptoms that can often accompany this distress. Now, her Instagram is chock full of informative infographics and posts all about dealing with trauma and dating and red flags. So naturally, I thought she would be the perfect person to sort of help us navigate what you've been through, what you're going through, and help our listeners. Hi, Siret. Hi, thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you for being here. here. Thank you so much for being here. So you heard uh, Anne's story and her mission to sort of, sort of, I guess, navigate through her own understanding of red flags, but also help others see these red flags um, to help them avoid some of the things that she went through. So what are some of your initial thoughts on that? So um, my first thing is to echo what you said none of this um, is on you, Anne. You're, you're amazing. You're an incredible, incredible, resilient human being. And um, I'm, I'm in awe of you. And honestly, I think, I think you are far more of an expert than you perhaps already realize. Um, just listening to everything you said and connecting some of the threads there, you, you kind of know. And, you know, being 16 years old, there's there's no way you you would have been able to look at somebody and assess um that they might be a potential abuser whether you're 16 or you're 30 or you're 50 um you you don't know and people some people are really really clever about it and it doesn't show up straight away and they groom you so i think a few sort of key things you want to look out for is if it seems too good for me to be true it, it probably is um I think if somebody doesn't seem like a complete person and they seem all good and um, I imagine you've heard the term love bombing. So if you feel like you're being love bombed, they're very, very charming. Um, And there's something very seductive about them. Um, That's definitely a bit of a warning sign. And um, are you okay? 
Oh, I'm good. <laughs> Should we, you, you shared something really heavy and really deep. Should we maybe just take a regulating breath? Yeah, we're good. <laughs> Thank you. That's all right. Um, I think some of the other things you mentioned that again are quite sort of classic hallmarks are isolating you from your friends and family and your support system. Um, that's usually if somebody starts to do, and it happens very, very, in very subtle ways, the analogy or the metaphor that gets, gets used a lot is like boiling a frog. So mm. for some reason, the anatomy of, the, of a frog means that if you put them in water and slowly turn up the heat, they don't realize they're being boiled versus if you just fling them into um, a pan of boiling water. So um, that's something I think that it, it starts very subtly. No one's going to get into a relationship where they think they're going to be abused and tormented and persecuted. People are very skilled. They essentially groom you. Um, and they, they are very clever at reading you and working out what, what it is that they say, how they present themselves in a way that you engage with them. And they're also very, very good at seeking out the vulnerable people that, that, will, um, that have that impoverished part of them that is going to gravitate towards somebody being so loving and, and so kind of um, into them, let's say. And at 16, I imagine that that would be sort of a natural state for any young person, right? You want that love. You want that romance. You're at that age where you're just desiring that bond so deeply, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I'd say attachment styles would, would um, come into play a little bit. Mm -hmm. But I think, um, I think clearly, you know, um, without without prying or asking any anything that you're not comfortable sharing i think something might have already happened in your life that made this person attractive to you um that made something about them familiar to you um and you know we're we're very good at um at seeking out what's familiar even when it's painful and distressing and at 16 um your your executive function that thoughtful sort of um, high functioning part of your brain it's not online it's it's really not so you're you're kind of um, acting from a much more primal part of the brain much mm. more emotionally focused part of the brain and I'm, I'm curious to uh, for I guess for both of you for uh, women or I guess men too who are listening to this and thinking about maybe their own circumstances, maybe their own relationships that they're in right now. Um, we talked a lot about isolating, isolating from your friends, isolating from your family. I think sometimes in a new relationship, a natural occurrence is to be spending more time with your partner, is to be, you're so, you know, excited by all the you know, chemistry going on and all of that, you know, those hormones and pheromones that are just bursting at that stage in a relationship. How can you distinguish spending more less time with your friends, less time with your family to spend more time with your partner in those early stages uh, with isolation? How do you distinguish those two occurrences? Um, well, I guess to contrast, uh, my new partner, uh, we've been together for two years. Um, he does not get mad should someone text me. Mm. Whereas my ex would keep a hunting knife under his pillow and a loaded shotgun underneath the bed should someone text me. That does uh, seem like a sharp contrast. 
<laughs> just a little bit like quite right? a sharp contrast yeah 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 um he was very controlling of who I spoke to um even when I was in school if it was a male teacher mm. um which eventually led to me dropping out and I only had one credit left uh at the time which for the record anyone listening I did go back after I had my daughter yes. and I graduated congratulations 98 in in political science that's amazing right (laughs) um so it it, there's there's a difference of are they okay with you still going out with your friends Mm. versus are they just being sooky sookies you know natural in my opinion but if they're jealous and envious of you wanting to call your dad or your mm-hmm. sister, your, those natural relationships that you have, that to me is a red flag. You, you should be having your normal relationships. They should be encouraging you to still have those relationships and, and not be bitter when, when you want to go hang out with them. Yeah. Your, your new partner. Yeah. See, what would you agree with those sort of those distinguishing features? I mean, obviously, uh, threatening violence is quite an extreme one that I think a lot of people um, would be able to distinguish the two. But are there anything else that women can be or men to uh, can be looking out for? Um, one was um, always, always use your body as your barometer, mm. um, especially after trauma. So if you're around somebody and you feel unsafe and you just, something doesn't feel right, please listen to that. That's, that's really important because your body is your unconscious mind. It, it, it is. Um, so right. It is, isn't it? And, and you'd know. Um, yeah, looking back, it's just my, my intuition. Um, it has never failed me, but the amount yeah. of times I chose not to listen to it. Mm. That's because just as Hannah said, you were conditioned not to listen. So we've had a colossal failure of um, the rhetoric that girls and women get. Um, Something I feel really strongly about and post about fairly often. Um, I think that is um, what a disservice to do to little girls that somebody is pulling your hair. That means they like you. That's that's, Mm, that's programming into you that abuse equals love, Um, which is horse shit. Sorry, I swear a lot. so do I. So yeah, and, I think we all do. <laughs> and the other one is when you've been through significant trauma, especially early life trauma, your um, perception is altered. So when you're really, really attracted to somebody, be a little bit wary of that because um, you're going to pick up on, um, even if it's com- subtleties, your nervous system is going to pick up on stuff way before you ever know. And um, uh, it's sort of... Um, it's called neuroception and you're going to pick up on little subtleties, maybe mannerisms. You're going to catch things because gut instinct is essentially what everything you already know. Um, it's your body's sort of, let's call it your spidey senses. And um, it's processing things in milliseconds before you could even consciously be aware. Um, so if you're really, really attracted to someone, that's because you see something familiar in them and we are wired to seek what's familiar. Because in an evolutionary sense, um, what we have already weathered, even if it was terrible, we think we have the innate um, capacity to weather it again, even if it was awful. 
So that's an important one. Let me ask two follow-up questions to that. Uh, Yeah, of course. One, I don't know if you know this off the top of your head. I don't expect you to, but is there an increased rate of domestic abuse for women and men who have either seen domestic abuse or, or experienced some sort of abuse in childhood? Are they more likely to then be victims as adults as well? Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And then that that especially uh, correlates with what you're saying. And then I think I'm sure a lot of people listening to this right now are like, Oh shit. If I'm really attracted to somebody, I need to take a step back. Can you sort of expound upon that so that people can understand that? So this is why you find, you know, we all have the friends who seem to live a charmed life. They had a lovely Mm. time growing up. They found a lovely partner. And um, it all just seems to work out really easily. And the the rest of us banging our heads against the wall. And um, it's sort of because you, um, we we human beings um, seek what what we already know. And we do as we have been done by. So that was something that John Bowlby said, was one of the fathers of of attachment theory. And um, if you grew up and you were taught, because that's when you're you're sort of taught to love and be loved. Mm. So um, if you love and abuse were mingled up together from a really, really young age, that's going to feel familiar. And that stress chemistry is going to come up, which, which has a sort of addictive quality. So you have those sort of, um, you know, the, the kind of like, maybe a little bit as you felt, Anne, it felt like very explosive chemistry and it was scary and it was intense and it was up and down. And um, it's, it's like an addiction. Mm-hmm. And um, so, what when you're really, really viscerally attracted to somebody, and you've been through some kind of, um, you know, related trauma, especially relational trauma. So it doesn't have to be in in, in an intimate relationship. Um, you want to take a little step back and see what what is it that is my visceral attraction? What is it about this person? So I noticed within myself, I was always really attracted to very alpha men. And when I kind of really broke that down, um, it was that I, I was very controlled and I really liked, and what I was being attracted to was somebody that was dominant and controlling. Um, so there's always something. Um, and it's the people that you really kind of want to give a chance to are the ones that, I mean, obviously not repulsed by, um, but the ones that you kind of, you think, oh, they seem like a nice person, but there's no kind of thunderbolts going on because attraction grows actually how I got together with my partner. (laughs) Look at that. You're 10 steps ahead. Yeah. Um, And then beyond sort of some of the things that you talked about, love bombing, um, isolation, are there other red flags uh, that we can be looking out for, especially in those early stages of dating? Um, So these are quite subjective. And I think um, I wish there was a really neat list of of behaviors I could say, well, these are the red flags. And if you Mm. see these, um, run. But, you know, I think understanding what your attachment style is, is quite important. Can you speak Um, a little bit more about that? Just because I don't know if everybody listening knows what attachment styles mean. Yeah, of course. So your attachment style is how, how you relate interpersonally in relationships that are really, really close and have a big emotional charge. So they tend to sort of your blue attachment blueprint, let's say, mm-hmm. is formed in your relationship with your primary caregivers. So your, your mom and your dad when you're really, really little. And depending on how they attended to you or didn't attend to you is how you then understand um, 
to relate with other people in the future and subsequent relationships. So there are a few broad attachment styles and um, the Holy Grail is secure attachment, which nobody mm -hmm. is all the time, um, which means you can give and receive love um, readily and you're comfortable with it. You can be close to somebody, you can have intimacy, you can also have the space and come back again. And it's generally just being being quite comfortable in, in with intimacy, with another human being, with emotions, with feelings. Um, the avoidant attachment tends to come in uh, two forms, which is anxious um, uh, avoidant or um, not anxious, fearful avoidant, they call it, or disorganized, as we call it in this country, which is sort of a mixture of um, of feeling worried um, about the relationship on a really constant basis mm. um, and whilst alternating between that and also um, feeling the need to run away from the person so the intimacy gets a little bit too much so it's a very push-pull dynamic mm -hmm. um, anxious is sort of um, you're constantly preoccupied about the relationship it's what are they thinking of me do they like me um, what you know it's it's never what do i think of them it's always what do they think of me i think is a, mm. a good hallmark of, of anxious i'm anxious um, attachment i know that about myself i'm anxious attachment like if somebody if i feel somebody separating from me i'm like no love me love me let me do this let me do that let me do ah! yeah. <laughs> literally i am like two textbook anxious attachment <laughs> Yeah, and that's um, that. That's called protest behavior. <laughs> so um, that is literally you protesting to have them not leave you. So that can come up as um, as you know, getting really upset or trying to. Um, sometimes people do it in the form of like guilting somebody, or it comes up in loads of different ways. Hmm. Um, and then we have um, uh, of dismissive avoidant, which people seem to has 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 and sadly very misunderstood. I think people assume that people that are dismissive avoidant are cold and heartless. They aren't. They're mm. people that were horribly, horribly neglected, and when they were really small, they shut down a part of themselves um, because they learned that other people can't be relied on, mm. and other people are just inherently um, unsafe, and and they they learn to become a bit of an island. So when, the, when, even if they deeply want that love and to be with somebody, um, it's really, really scary for them. Intimacy is terrifying. And then they do what we call deactivating strategies and they will self-sabotage, blow up the relationship, um, be unkind to create distance. Um, and these are all involuntary responses. So, you know, none of the, none of the attachment styles do what they're doing on purpose or intentionally necessarily it's just very involuntary stuff um that's been encoded into you um w when you were like a little sponge yeah yeah so I, I i implore everybody listening to this to read more about um your your specific attachment style and read more about attachment styles in general because when you understand your attachment style you can then sort of understand how you one perceive the world perceive relationships both platonic and romantic um but also sort of like work through some of okay wait why am i why do i have this attachment and work through it so that again you can sort of work towards uh secure attachment which 
I, I, I just bow down to anybody who's ever achieved that. <laughs> but, um, you, you know, always, we're always working on ourselves. We're always evolving. That's what this show is about. Um, and so working towards that. Um, and what are some other sort of red flags that you wish you knew, wish other women would recognize that maybe you saw in your personal experience? Or maybe, you know, since it sounds like you know, obviously domestic violence in the United States is rampant as well, but it sounds like it's really rampant where you live. Um, so some of the women that, that you see are men too, um, going through experiencing. Um, for me, um, another thing is the, just the control mm. factor. Um, if they try to control, you know, what you're wearing, um, that, that, that was another thing for me, um, telling you, you can't go out wearing that with your friends mm -hmm. because you look too seductive, um, for other men, um, or women, if, if you're a male, mm -hmm. um, if they're belittling you, degrading you, um, if they're trying to tear you down, I think to me, that was the biggest way. It wasn't necessarily just the love bombing. It was, he broke me mm. um, to the point where I can't accept compliments because it feels way too uncomfortable. Um, even for my daughter, when she says, I love you, it's just like, please don't. <laughs> mm. um, uh, just uh, there there's just so many different for me it's I look at my best friend and if it's any obscure behavior that I wouldn't want from her maybe look at it a little closer and and see if it's a red flag or not if it's a continuing factor and it's making me feel a little eh, Look into I think it. <laughs> I think I think that is such a poignant uh, remark that you just made that I think is so tangible and can help so many people listening to this right now, is sort of almost like abstracting the uh, behavior from maybe a partner because I do think sometimes with like you know C. Brett talked about we get blinded by love bombs we get blinded by these emotional relationships because everybody what. I mean, every single human on this earth, all they truly, truly want is love, right? And so if they feel like they're getting it, uh, they're sometimes blinded to behaviors that are clearly unacceptable. And so abstracting that behavior and saying, hey, would I be cool if my girlfriend, you know, my friend did this to me? Um, hey, no, that's not okay. Then looking at it a little deeper, I think that is such a great point that you just made. Um, and I also think that you know, recognizing sort of the way you want to be speaking, spoken to early on um, is another sort of, if you have those boundaries before you start dating so that you're very clear where everything, uh, what's acceptable, what's not for you, going into a relationship can also be helpful because I think a lot of times, I mean, in dating culture today, we have negging, which is like my biggest 
pet peeve, but that is a form of manipulation. That is a form of control um, that we just sort of grow as girls. It's like, oh no, like that's okay. He's just flirting with me. And it starts on the playground. Oh, if he's bullying you, oh, that means he likes you. He pushed you down. That means he likes you. He's being mean to you in middle school. That means he likes you. He's in high school. He's nagging you. That means he likes you. So then when he's beating you as an adult, you are programmed since you were a child to believe that that means he likes you. And so it's nobody's fault for not seeing those signs because people were telling you to ignore those signs since you were probably two or three years old saying, no, no, no. That, that means he has a crush on you. You should feel good about yourself because he's being mean to you. I mean, as a society, we really fail women with these sort of notions about how men can act towards women from a very young age. Yep. And that's why for my daughter, I don't use that rhetoric. Good. Um, in fact, in kindergarten, um, a boy was picking on her and... <laughs> Someone had told her, it's, it's, oh, it's a sign he likes you. Um, my daughter punched him in the face. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to condone violence, but he that was, is awesome. He was doing similar to her. Um, she did get in trouble because we don't, you know, we don't tend to go the violent route. But um, she definitely doesn't take, pardon my French, she doesn't take shit from Good. anyone, boy, girl, um, and if she sees it happening to her friends, she does the exact same thing. She mm. doesn't let it happen, and she knows uh, she will never get in trouble if it's in that kind of sense, if, if, if someone um, is getting physical with her and even if the adults around her are saying oh it's okay boys will be boys mm. she knows that that doesn't fly it's not a boys will be boys situation because if girls were doing the same thing they'd be told to stop yeah so i i mean this has just been such a powerful episode i just think the the biggest takeaways i, I really wanted this episode to be about red flags. I wanted to be about your question and talking about red flags for domestic violence. But I think my biggest takeaways thus far is look what you have done with your circumstance for women in your area and for your daughter and not only your daughter, but all her friends. You are impacting a generation through the trauma that you have been through, through the pain that you have been through and you are making a difference so that other people don't have to go through what you did. You should not have gone through what you did. There's no reasonable explanation for why you did. There was nothing you could do to stop it. Um, but now look what you have done, what you're doing with, with what you have did go through. Like look at the change you're making on an entire generation. It is, it is so inspiring. Sira, uh, I see you shaking your head. Yeah, it's just, um, it's the most incredible story of post-traumatic growth. Um, not to say that, you know, I think, um, sadly, there's a little bit of a rhetoric of, oh, if my trauma hadn't happened, this wouldn't have happened, um, which I think is, is bullshit. Um, but despite having been through these absolute horrors and being, um, I mean, you've been to hell and back. 
and you've found a way to use that and you've leveraged it and you and and you've um you've helped other people you're now empowering people that have been through that and um there's nothing more courageous or beautiful than that there really isn't even today even today look at you like everybody who's listening to this podcast is going to be so inspired by you and so moved by you um i like me i think me and c brett both have tears in our eyes for for this episode um i I had to put the phone down to blow my nose (laughs) 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 my podcast listeners are are used to a a wide array of noises and weird stuff so like you can just blow your nose next time (laughs) (laughs) um and i i just i want to thank you so much for for opening up for being vulnerable and again for helping every person listening to this helping people in your community helping your daughter helping her friends i am so so blown away and sirat thank you so much for really helping us learn how to recognize these red flags and deal with our trauma you can find sirat on instagram at sirat k chala I am going to put that in the description box, uh, <laughs> but you really, I, I, I came across your Instagram and it was, it's very, um, it's very tangible. She does a lot of infographics so you can really understand some of the, I guess, trauma-based experiences you may be having. And she talks about red flags. She talks about uh, how your emotions may manifest after going through trauma. And I think it's very helpful. Uh, I'm a visual learner, so I, I, you know, love your feed. So I will put that in the description box. If you are listening and you have a question and want to be featured on the next episode, please send me a DM to at Hannah Cranston or email tmthshow at gmail.com. Again, please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. Also, please rate and review this podcast. And just a reminder, we'll be coming at you every Wednesday. So buckle up because it's going to be too much to handle. See you next week. Oh,